My name is Len. I am a compulsive overeater. I know some of you as long as back to February 23rd, 1976, when I came to my first meeting. I am tragically not abstaining since then. I am carrying about 21 and a half years of abstinence and maintaining weight loss of some 70 pounds. Uh, what else? I don't know anything else. Uh, these are anxiety-filled times. We have national elections coming on. I can't watch my favorite things on television without being hammered about this proposition, that proposition, the other proposition. Vote for this guy. This guy sucks. This guy doesn't suck. This guy should suck. Whatever it may be. So I handle this by coming to an OA meeting. I come to this meeting. There's an election. Now, fortunately, fortunately, I have learned along the way that I can go home and take out a piece of paper and write what is lovingly called a tenth step. And I can read this to my sponsor and we can talk about my fear of losing something that I have. You know, I'm 81 years old, like my Social Security. This would hurt me very much if I lost this or what I'm afraid of not getting that I want, which is more social security, you know, whatever it may be. But this, again, is what the program has given to me along the way. I said that I was 81 years old. That quick math, people, what year was I born? 1931. What was going on in this country in 1931? There was the Great Depression. Uh, my father always worked. I asked him about it. He said he was family. He'd known these people for many, many years, and uh, they were at his wedding, etc. And each time they cut his salary by 10%, they'd give him overtime. So in that regard, we were taken care of. I had cousins who lived with their grandmother, with their mother, their father, their sister, their brother, five people living with the grandmother and the grandfather, all in a two-bedroom apartment. These are one of the things, by the way, I'm grateful for. I, I never have to live like this in my life, etc. But still, because of the Depression, there was a degree of anxiety. What is the old line? It's a recession if your neighbor lost his job. It's a depression if you lose your job. You know, that, that's, that's an old joke. But there was a lot of anxiety. And my father, God bless him, on Sunday morning would go out to the deli and he'd come back with a brown paper bag this big. This was in Brooklyn, New York. And we were encouraged to empty that bag. And what we didn't eat for breakfast, we were served for lunch or dinner or whatever, etc. And nobody ever said, don't eat too much because you never knew when the next one was going to come. Now, what ended the Great Depression? World War II. In case you didn't have enough anxiety in your life, now my brother was in the army and my older brother, and we had all of this going. So basically speaking, I'm going from the day I'm born to age 14 with something outside going on I have no control over, which is solved by lunch or dinner or breakfast or something in between. 
My granddaughter is 13. She was just bat mitzvah two weeks ago. You should have been there. She was wonderful. She has ADD. Uh, and yet she was able to learn everything in two languages and she was perfect and she did everything well. But I didn't know about ADD when I was a kid. Had I known about it, I probably would have had it or I probably would have been diagnosed with it because there were things that I loved and was good at. I was in a play. I knew my lines. I knew your lines. I knew the other guy's lines. But arithmetic was another story, you know, etc. And I was a loner. And my mother always said to me, you're better than they are. Don't worry about it. I spent a lot of time in love with my radio. So much so that when I first went into a career, I worked 20 years in radio. But anyway, I was in love with my radio. And uh, I know the guys would be out in the street playing punch ball, whatever it was, and I knew I was better than they were. They were playing, they were having a good time, but, you know, I, I was better than they were. When I learned to play ball, I was usually batting ninth, playing right field. Uh, I didn't bloom in that. Later, our team won the city championship uh, 10, 15 years later, but, uh, but till I bloomed, etc. Let's go to uh, 1952. What was going on in 1952? Ah, there was a war. Right, there was a war in Korea. And I was drafted into the United States Army. And uh, I served in the Army. Uh, I don't know if it was because my brother had been wounded in the war, because I wore glasses, because I was smart, because I was dumb, or whatever. But I ended up with occupation forces and ended up with a desk job in Paris, France. And which is where I really did my major eating to the point that when I came back from service, my mother said something to me about my weight and sent me to the doctor. And the doctor gave me a little white pill. I spent 14 years taking speed. Nice Jewish boy from White Plains, New York, popping pills every day, etc. When I took them, I was skinny. When I didn't take them, I would eat the wallpaper off the wall. <laughs> And over a period of years, ate myself up to 300 pounds. Not all at once. After going to a commercial food plan, after going to a shot doctor, after going to a shot doctor, etc., uh, I got myself up to 300 pounds. I got myself, uh, what did I get myself? Oh, both in New York and in California, in Los Angeles. And the only difference is the New York shot doctors have... Broadway stars on their walls, and the California fat doctors have movie stars on the wall. But other than that, it's the same stuff right back here. And if you eat 600 calories a day and pay the guy 50 bucks, you can lose a lot of weight. <laughs> Soon as I stop, boom, back up to 300 pounds. When? came February 23rd, February 22nd, 1976. I had gone to Vegas for the weekend. In those days, it was cheap. You could eat off the buffets. It's almost, it's almost like craft services. Anyway. Uh, anyway, I decided it was time to do something about my weight, and I was going to go to a commercial food place. And I got a letter from my older brother, my only brother, uh, and my older brother has a, uh, 12, had a 12-step involvement. And in his letter, he said, 
you ought to try Overeaters Anonymous. It's supposed to be pretty good. So I made a telephone call. I found out that the World Service of Overeaters Anonymous was on Motor Avenue and Palms. In 1976, it was on Motor Avenue and Palms. I lived on Vinton Avenue and Palms, which was one block from Motor Avenue. Now, as a sidebar, I've had a resentment all my life that I had to carry lunch to school and other kids could go home for lunch. And here it was one block from me. So I called to find out where the meeting was, and I had to go to Beverly Hills High School. They had a wonderful newcomers meeting on Monday and Tuesday. Remember Jack? Uh, there were women with kids named after him from that meeting. Uh, anyway, with a great deal of anxiety and with the, the know-it-all attitude of the professional dieter, I waltzed into my first OA meeting, a newcomer's meeting, as I said, February 23, 1976. And there were no scales. That was a little bit of, uh, that was strange to me. Uh, and uh, I said, what do you do here? And somebody said, you sit and you listen. You know, what's your name? Len. Hello, Len. I'm so-and-so. If it was a woman, it was usually Karen, because in those days, every woman in OA was named Karen. But, and it's tough, because when they call you, you didn't know which one it was. Anyway, and somebody stood up and said, I'm a compulsive overeater. And I said to myself, is that what I am? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm aware of 12-step programs. We have 12-step programs in the family let them tell me don't you fix it for them this is an Al-Anon I wanted to make sure they were listening anyway I found myself at home people were telling the truth they were telling the stories they were talking about fear I never identified fear with food I wasn't afraid of anything, especially if it was after lunch. <laughs> but I listened, and I heard, and I related. And I went up to the woman who led the newcomers meeting, and I said, Excuse me, what is this God shit? <laughs> and she gave me the right answer. I mean, she gave me the right answer because I'm only coming back 36 years so far. But she said, don't let this frighten you away. There is recovery here. There is a man that used to weigh 400 pounds. He now weighs 200 pounds. There's a woman who used to weigh this, etc. You know, showed me her picture, etc. And, and it sounded good to me. Hell, I, was, I had come and committed to my next diet. And so I came in and the story sounded good. Everybody sounded good. They talked about the tools. They read the steps. I understood it was a spiritual program. I didn't know what that meant, but I understood it was a spiritual program. And being 44 and a half and divorced twice at that point, I was very excited when young ladies came up and handed me a piece of paper and said, here's my phone number, call me. This, this was tremendous. Anyway, I invested a dime. I bought a gray sheet. And I started 
to eat what it said on the gray sheet. And of course, once they eat what it was on the gray sheet, anybody here ever seen a gray sheet or eaten from the gray sheet? Anybody here ever been in Auschwitz? <laughs> Very similar. And I started to lose weight very quickly. I lost 115 pounds in under a year, etc. About four months into it, my, oh, two weeks later, I asked the secretary of the meeting to be my sponsor because I figured that was a big shot, you know, fitting me. And it was a God shot because he was a very... It was a nice fit, and he was a very good man for me, and he seemed to have satisfactory answers to my questions. About four months into it, he says, Now, <clears throat> you know, this is a spiritual program, and I've been taking your food for four months, uh, but don't you think it's time to start working the steps? And I said, Oh, he said, do you own a big book? I said, well, a big book is six and a quarter, and uh, this is, uh, you know, I, I don't have any discretionary uh, money at this point, etc. That Sunday, I went on a fishing boat, and I got into a poker game, and I won $6.25. Amos, Amos. And I, this was my first spiritual experience. That I, that I credited. And I bought a big book, second edition. I still got it. It's credit. It's been thrown around the stage in shows I've done, etc. Uh, but I'm there, and I read it, and I've got a third and a fourth, too. Surprise, surprise. Anyway, and so I would like to tell you that my OA career ended at that point, and I lived happily ever after. I got involved in service. I was on the board. I, I'm the guy who created the birthday party, if, you, if you're really interested in it. I was on the board, and somebody said, we ought to have an annual event. You ought to be in charge of it. I said, fine, we'll call it the birthday party. It was a lot smaller than it is now. It was uh, a day and a half, and we didn't have a dinner and whatever we didn't have. And incidentally, the speaker, anybody ask you, what was the entertainment at the first birthday party in 1980? We had Chuck C. as a speaker. We had an AA speaker. And somebody said, why on earth would you pick an AA speaker to speak on a Friday night at an OA event? And I said, I never heard him. <laughs> now I've heard him. I worked in radio for a lot of years. Uh, and... Uh, I went to New York University. I took all the appropriate classes, etc. And when the birthday party enlarged and they started to do shows, Richie Kay was doing the shows for the first three years. And I said to Richie, I was chairman the fourth year, and I said, Richie, are you doing a show for this year? He says, you know, I've done three. It's enough. And so I was visiting my parents in West Palm Beach, Florida, and I sat down with a notebook and I wrote a play. And I as the chairman of the show, made sure that was the play we produced that year. <laughs> and uh, it was an OA story about a woman who gets involved with a guy in OA for the wrong reasons, whatever. Anyway, and everybody told me this is the best one ever. The one the next year, they told me that was the best one ever. The one a year after that. <laughs> anyway, that, that's part of the game. 
while I was writing this play and doing this play, uh, a young woman called me. She wanted to be on the committee and she wanted to get involved with the play. And so we met and she was an editor, among other things, and she edited my play, etc. And uh, uh, she came on the committee and helped produce the play. And we're uh, going together now 29 years. We're married 27 years. So uh, there is a, a reward uh, to service. And, and uh, my friend John reminds me that I quote a guy named Bob from many years ago who at the men's stag, when guys would complain about their relationships and women would complain about their relationships, this guy's word was always, remember where you met them. Uh, uh, only that many people in OA relationships. Uh, anyway, and uh, Laura and I say that to each other sometimes when we're having a tiff because we do have a perfect relationship and we both have egos and we both have character defects and we both remind each other all of the time that we have character defects and so we've learned the art of uh, making up making up and being nice to each other very very easy to be angry and snap at people etc sometimes it takes a little extra work not to these are some of the things that I've learned along the way uh, my current sponsor is with me about 21 years. He's in Laughlin doping out horses today and having a miserable time yesterday because none of the favorites won, uh, one favorite one. Uh, but uh, I picked a man who was in a relationship. He's now married 50 plus years. I picked a man who had been in my business. I picked a man who was a father, etc. And... Uh, we seem to understand each other, and he seems to have a handle on me, pretty much. And uh, he doesn't tell me what to do. He tells me what he did in those circumstances. And, and, and that makes it work a lot more easily. Uh, I would like to tell you all of the things I know, except that at 81 years old, I don't remember. And B, uh, I don't know as much as I used to know. I've experienced a lot of things in life. I've seen a lot of people in life. My biggest gratitude is that I'm still alive. In 36 years, I have been to a goddamn passel full of OA funerals and memorial services. Uh, and I'm not talking about people my age. I've outlived a hundred people, a thousand people. I'm talking about people who kicked off at 55. When those of you who, who saw shows that I was involved in, I always used to dedicate. Uh, the show to people who had been in previous shows and who died. And the first one was a woman who was in her 30s. She was a bulimic, and they found her dead with her head in a toilet bowl or next to the toilet bowl. I think she got out of it. You know, and, and I just hear a lot of these stories along the way. Some of them I use these stories in my play. Forgive me for breaking your anonymity, but uh, uh, because this is what is. This is what our disease is. This is what our disease can do for us. Um, and uh, I know Jerry from uh, 150 years. I know his wife even longer. My first OA girlfriend was her sponsor. That's how long ago that was. And I didn't have a girlfriend in OA for at least the first 15 minutes. Uh, but, but anyway, we've seen a lot of people along the way who aren't here anymore and won't be back. So I don't know what else I can tell you. Let's see. I live a life. 
What have I gotten from OA? Well, I've gotten the fact that I'm 81 years old, that I'm still alive, that I don't get into fistfights anymore. I'm very, very selective about who I call what and whether there's somebody who I'm describing it is in my presence or not. Um, uh, I have a son who's come to OA, married a woman in OA, and now my granddaughter is 13 and a half, weighs 94 pounds, 5 foot 1, and very conscious of all of her heavy relatives, and a beautiful kid. Uh, but uh, before I came into OA, uh, my wife and I got a divorce. Uh, she remarried. He took custody of the kid, and I put him up in, for adoption, and He's his kid. He's dead now. Uh, when I came into the program and I started to work 12 steps, I said, this isn't right. I haven't done right by this kid, etc. Then the guy had died, and I got back into it. I made amends. I apologized to the kid. I'm his father. I'm introduced as his father. I'm socially his father, etc. You know, I mean, this is one of the things that 12 steps has done for me, that I've got a, a relationship with my son again. So, uh, oh, God, I made it to 92832. <laughs> um, I'd love to say something memorable. Uh, <laughs> in 36 years, you've become my family. Uh, you've become my friends. Uh, yes, I do have friends outside a program people who don't know what I'm talking about and can't imagine why I didn't pop somebody in the mouth when he said something or why I didn't put somebody down with my New York given quick wit because I I spend too long with it. I have a, I have a guy who is a, a acquaintance of mine. He's a major pain in the ass. And I call my sponsor and I say to him, so-and-so said this and 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 this. And, this. and he says, uh, oh, yeah, you want to spend a weekend with him? And I said, oh, my God, that's the last thing I want to do. He says, well, that's what you're doing. <laughs> and so I get to get out the pen and the pencil. And uh, I didn't mention Lila. Lila died very young. She was the woman who, who taught me the concept of uh, uh, act as if when I questioned about the presence of a God. I don't know what day I came to believe in God. I just know that today he's there. Uh, I don't like candles to him or uh, sacrifice virgins. Can't find him anymore. Uh, or whatever. But I just know that God is there and God has got me uh, in, in, his, uh, in his clutches, in his mind. And... Uh, so in that regard, I would guess I work spiritual program. So anyway, uh, Carol, thank you so much for thinking of me. And uh, now it's your turn, right? This is a time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. 
if being recorded, please restate the question after it's... Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Can you talk about when you have disillusion, maybe in 36 years? Disillusion with your higher power, with the program, with the steps? Like, what did you do to keep going? Uh, I, I went. Yes, I've had reverses. I've had disillusion. Uh, generally, I've work the steps expectations are a tough thing for me and my and my uh, disillusion is usually coming from my expectations I don't know if that does that for you I could tell you that yes I pray uh, yes I talk I don't I don't pray for things I pray for knowledge of God's will sometimes I pray for direction and what I can do about it and I do ask my sponsor and I do ask friends I mean, I know guys here, I know what they do for a living, and if I need a little free expertise, sometimes I move in on them and ask for a little free expertise. I hope that answers your question. Julie. Thank you. Thanks, Great to hear you. Um, can you talk about your daily routine in the program? And um, I'm wondering if it's like in sync with your partner, or do you guys do? Uh, she gets out of the house at 7 o'clock and goes out for coffee. Um, I uh, wake up generally around 6 o'clock. I have a medication I take without food and a medication with food. I take the medication without food, open the meditation book, read read for today, go over it. Then I take my food with with food, eat my breakfast, call my sponsor, discuss the meditation, tell him what I'm doing for the rest of the day, etc. When I find myself hungry, anxious, pissed off, I might say the serenity prayer, I might not, I might swear, but generally before that is gone, I'm going to have to put it to the old man. Yes, ma'am, here. Uh, what is my concept of God and how did I get it when I was seven years old I went to Sunday school in the Brooklyn Jewish Center and a man named Mr. Pinsky was the teacher and he used to lecture about this guy throwing lightning bolts he lost me very very quickly (laughs) when I came to program and I told you I asked the question what is this God shit I looked at people's success and I borrowed and stole your success, good luck and achievement. And people would say to me, are you more powerful than the ocean? Go over and tell the waves to stop. So this brought me to the fact that there is a power greater than myself. And then I started acting as if there was a power greater than myself. I don't know at what day I said, oh, there's a real God. I just stop saying if you're there. And today I believe he's there. And I've had many rewards in my life to back it up. Jerry. Thank you, Ann. What about when you were growing up? How did you have any concept of God? Was it in your consciousness? I was afraid he'd get me. 
the biggest sin in the world was to piss my mother off. Question is, what did I did I have God when I was did I have any belief of God when I was young? No, everybody talked about it. It was there. You know, we were a Jewish community in Brooklyn, very very small and tense, and and uh, there was a lot of hypocrisy, which made it very very easy to walk away from it. You know, because a guy would come and throw himself in front of the altar and pray and whatever and on the way home I'd get the truth from my parents and you don't think my you don't think my parents would lie to me do you I hope that answers your question yes my dear hi thank you for your share what is your abstinence my abstinence is uh, weighed and measured uh, breakfast it's a cup of berries and uh, oatmeal half a cup of milk uh, lunch is generally some manner of salad, and dinner is a protein and a vegetable for salad. And uh, I have a glass of uh, skim milk at bedtime, which doctor suggests, and that's pretty much what I eat. I I don't believe I'm in hell if uh, I deviate from it, as long as I don't kid myself, as long as I stay in reality. I would like to say, because I'm a braggart at heart, my granddaughter is 13. I've been to 13 birthday parties. I'm yet to taste her birthday cake. Not because I'm a bad guy and not because I don't love her. Just not there anymore. Oh, I got another minute. <laughs> Alan. Yeah, Len, thank you. You said you have uh, more time in the program than you have abstinence. Yes. Did you get abstinent and lose it? If so, how did you come back? Did it take a long time to get out? And how did that happen? Uh, I was weighing a good deal more than I'm weighing now. And uh, a sponsor had died. I didn't really have a sponsor. And I went to my new sponsor and we decided this is the way we would do it. And I've had, uh, I've been calling him, working with him ever since, reading to him and uh, lost maybe 40, 50 pounds in our relationship. Yes. Please. Can you explain how you do your 10th step? No. <laughs> I, I write whatever comes to me. Sit and I write and I read it the next day. If it's killing me and it's early enough, I'll call them tonight. Okay. You ready? Ladies and gentlemen.